Welcome to Jamie's Corner Podcast. This is a show where we talk about veganism, spirituality, animal rights, friends, family, struggles. I don't know. I kind of use this as my own therapy session, you know, just talking things through, really. So let's have some fun. I interview a lot of different activists, yogis, nutritionists. We got some doctors on here, veterinarians. You name it, just a lot of really great people. So thanks for joining me. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. It was only really a matter of time before alcohol became something I was looking forward to. It was something I needed. It was something I wanted. It had gone from being something that was to enhance a great night out. And it became something that I I was lonely and I was desperately homesick. And those emotions, they're not easy emotions to sit with, right? And alcohol made those feelings go away temporarily. Mm. What the hell is up, you guys? Today, I have Sarah Rusbatch on the podcast, and she is a motivational speaker, a certified health and wellness coach, and today, we are going to talk about alcohol and something known as the gray area of drinking, and I am super excited to have her on the podcast because I think that this is a super important topic that is often overlooked in our society. Alcohol is such a big part of our culture. It's such a big part of every event that we go to. And I also see a lot of connections between the big alcohol industries and the big animal agriculture industries. And alcohol is really, really dangerous when you actually break down the poison that you're putting into your bodies yet it's so normalized and it does prey on people it exploits people that have problems with it so we're going to get into that today and we're going to talk about the gray area of drinking which is where i fall into and i'm by no means sober yet (laughs) but it is something that i want to work towards and i think this podcast may change your perspective on things so without further ado let's get into it Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the Jamie's Corner podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So for those people that don't know who you are or what you do, why don't you just give us a little intro of what you're all about? So I am a gray area drinking coach, and I work with predominantly women who don't identify as being alcoholics, but do identify that alcohol is playing a role in their lives where perhaps it's starting to negatively impact and they wanna change their drinking habits, but are really struggling to do so. And that is the support that I offer. That is so awesome. And I think it's so necessary. I mean, me being a young 24 year old, I am noticing how it's already impacting my life and so many of my friends and just like the college culture that I just came out of. It's really crazy how much social pressure there is in drinking and, and it's like at every function that you go to. And sometimes I find myself in a weird place of like, how do I say no to this? How do I navigate this situation? So I definitely want to get into some of those topics and strategies. Absolutely. And I think that on that, like one of the biggest challenge that most of my clients have is the peer pressure that they come under from others to, you know, you say you've stopped smoking 
and everyone's like, oh, good on you, well done. And you say you've stopped drinking and the immediate response is, oh, don't be so boring. Oh, go on, just have one. And so it's a really challenging, if you surround, most of my clients have been quite heavy drinkers. And so they tend to be in a social circle with other heavy drinkers because we surround ourselves with people that do the same things as us, right? That's what we do as humans. So when you suddenly decide to change, it can be really, really hard for all the people in your life because they are carrying on doing that other thing and and you are deciding to change that. And people often have a very strong opinion on whether they think you should or shouldn't be doing that. For sure. And I almost find that it fuels their desire to then drink by telling you that you should drink. Like I've had friends where we're at dinner and they're like, oh, well, you're not going to get a glass of wine. Then I guess I won't either you know, and they're kind of like annoyed about it. Or if I'm out at a bar and sometimes I just go to a bar and get club soda or cranberry juice or whatever it is. Now I, I am trying to get to the place where I'm not drinking and we'll, we'll kind of get into that. But I think that if I'm out at a bar and then people are just trying to like do shots, if you're like, Oh, I don't want to do a shot. It's like a whole big deal. I know, I know. Because the fact is that people feel more comfortable around, if they're drinking, they want to be around other drinkers. Like when I was drinking, I, like if someone said they didn't drink, I was like, oh my God, we cannot be friends. And I would just like avoid them so much. So I, I get it, right? Because people that drink a lot tend to not want to be around people that don't drink. And people that have, don't really care about alcohol and they take it or leave it, it just doesn't bother them if the person they're with is drinking or not drinking. Whereas it tends to be the more problematic drinkers that have a problem with you not drinking. Absolutely. And there's a scale to these things, right? So there's, let's say, one to 10, where at one, you could care less if you have a drink or not. It doesn't really affect you one way or the other. And then there's 10, where you're an alcoholic, you're physically, emotionally dependent off of the substance, and you can't go you know, a day or even a few hours without it. And then you find yourself in the gray area, which is somewhere in the middle, where you like to drink, you have a drink, it doesn't really affect it, it's not something where you're physically dependent off of it, but it's also not great and beneficial to your life. Talk yeah, about that. I, what is gray area? So I tend to think of a gray area as being about a four to an eight on that scale. So we've perhaps moved from that place where we're using alcohol beyond just a drink every now and then socially. So maybe we use alcohol to numb uncomfortable emotions. Maybe we use alcohol to give us confidence in social situations. Maybe we use alcohol because we have really bad anxiety and it switches our brain off. Maybe we're using alcohol. There's recent research that's been done into ADHD and people who have ADHD produce um, less dopamine. And so they are more likely to develop a dependence on addictive substances such as alcohol. So there's lots of reasons. But if we've got to the point where we're using alcohol for a reason, we have even started questioning our relationship with alcohol. Maybe we're worried about our relationship with alcohol. Maybe we're making rules around our drinking. Like I was a classic gray area drinker. I was like, I'm not allowed to drink on Mondays and Tuesdays. I don't drink before five o'clock. I'm not allowed to drink on my own. So I had all these rules that just took up so much headspace in my brain. But then I also um, used to break them all the time. And, and what I say to everyone is people that don't have a problem with alcohol don't need to make rules around their drinking. They just have a drink if they fancy it and they don't have a drink otherwise. If we've got to that point where we're noticing we're making rules, then we're probably in that gray area. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Where I find that a lot of us are. So what is it about your personal story that made you come to where you are now and say, I need to cut this completely? So I'd always been a big drinker. I discovered alcohol at 14, which was pretty um, normal for me. I grew up in the north of England. It was kind of like alcohol had been prevalent in my house growing up. My parents were quite sociable. They always had parties. They always had dinner parties. And I would see the adults drinking wine all the time. And there was so much laughter. And it all seemed like so much fun. And so to me, it was just kind of like, well, when can I get my hands on this stuff? This is this is what you do when you're a grown-up, right? By the time I was 13, I'd been to five different schools. And I think that played a part as well for me because when you're constantly the new girl, you're constantly trying to fit in. What I found that alcohol did for me when I discovered alcohol was it fast-tracked that level or what I thought was a depth of connection and a friendship. You know, when you drink a bottle of wine with someone and maybe, you know, you're into the second bottle and it's like, you're my best friend, I love you. And you're telling each other all your secrets. And I loved that. Like as someone that had always been the new girl, what I craved was connection, um, feeling that I fitted in, feeling that I was one of the gang. So for me, as soon as I discovered alcohol, that was how it made me feel. So I was like, hey, I want this. I love this. Obviously, I didn't realize at the time, this is with hindsight and shitloads of work that I've done on myself that I can look back and go, this was what was going on. But that was what alcohol gave me at the start. So from there on in, alcohol became something that I used as a social crutch to fast track friendships, to make friends through university and um, you know I'm sure it's the same in the states as it is in the UK your freshest week at uni is just a one week of binge drinking basically and and that's your initiation into university life is just drinking as much as you can I mean I think it may be even more prevalent in the states than it is in the UK right oh yeah it's it's horrific I mean you have hazing if you're in a sorority or a fraternity and they will have you chugging eight to ten beer cans it's insane yeah yeah, I mean, there's even been, um, I've read about um, university students who died in that first week of university from alcohol poisoning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's very much encouraged. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And so anyway, I left uni, I moved to London. This was the era of sex in the city. This was the era of the Spice Girls, girl power, women can have it all. We were, um, we were young, we were single, we were making money. And we took, you know, we were going to all the rooftop bars of London, drinking our Cosmopolitans, thinking we were Samantha, going out, having one night stands, thinking this is your 20s, this is how great it is. And, and that's just kind of what we did in the 90s and, and the early 2000s. And um, what changed? And at no point then did I think my drinking was a problem. I drank socially. Um, yes, I drank a lot, but, but so did everyone around me. So I wasn't at home drinking on my own. If there was any nights that I was at home, I was going to bed, usually recovering from the night before so that I was ready to do it again the next day. Like that was kind of your 20s, right? The the time for me that it really changed was after um, we made the, I got married and we had, this, um, had a baby and made the decision to move to Australia. And I was soon, and then I had another baby again very quickly after my first. And so all of a sudden I was in Australia with two kids under two, no family, no friends, no kind of um, support whatsoever. 
I've had a really successful high-flying career in London where I've got a lot of kind of self-worth and sense of achievement out of it. And all of a sudden, um, and I've been, you know, my, my job had involved weekends in New York, weekends in Saint-Tropez, wining and dining in all the best restaurants around London. And all of a sudden, I was in Australia on my own all day, cleaning up baby sick, going to monkey music, <laughs> singing baby rhymes, praying <laughs> carrot. And like, for some women, that is the dream. For me, and I thought that was what, I would, but I would just embrace it. But I struggled mm. with it. I really struggled with not having that sense of identity beyond being a mother that just cleaned up sick all day. I struggled with not having intellectual stimulation. I struggled with not ever even being able to go to the loo by myself. Right? It was <laughs> it was just such a hard time. Yeah. And alcohol became a friend. Alcohol became something because I knew that alcohol, I knew I liked it because I'd had 15 years of steady social drinking. So I knew I could drink and I knew alcohol made me feel good. So it was only really a matter of time before alcohol became something after finishing breastfeeding or timing breastfeeding around when I could drink so that there wasn't alcohol in the breast milk. Like it, alcohol had become something that I was looking forward to. It was something I needed. It was something I wanted. It had gone from being something that was to enhance a great night out. And it became something that I I was lonely and I was desperately homesick. And those emotions, they're not easy emotions to sit with, right? And alcohol made those feelings go away temporarily. And mm. um, what then transpired was me starting to drink more and more and drinking on my own. I never drank with the kids. Like my husband would pull into the driveway. I would hand him his children and I would go and lock myself in another room and I'd crack mm. open the wine. And then that would be me for the night. And I would have days where I didn't do that because I had to prove to myself, oh, you don't have a problem. If you can have a day off, then it means you don't have a problem because we all have this stereotype that an mm. alcoholic is someone who has to drink every single day and they can't right. stop. Whereas if I could take a few days off, that meant I wasn't an alcoholic and, and everything was fine. And slowly but surely, as the years went by, um, alcohol started impacting my sleep. I was getting chronic anxiety. By this point, I had set up my own recruitment business. I was working for myself. But what that meant was I was working at home. I didn't ever have to be in an office by a certain time. It didn't really matter if I was hungover. I was my own boss. There were some days if the hangover was bad, I would drop the kids at school. I'd go back home, get into bed and play Candy Crush all day. And that is a pretty depressing place to be when it's a beautiful, hot, sunny day outside and you can't even have your curtains open because your hangover is so bad. And you're just counting down the hours until you start to feel better. And you've woken up in the morning saying, I'm not going to drink tonight. And then by five o'clock, you're like, oh, yeah, one just won't. You know, I can just have one. That'll be all right. And that became the cycle. Um, and it was hard, right? It was, it was looking back, pretty miserable, but I didn't know any other way. And I think your story is super relatable to so many people. Personally, I have a very close relative in my family that is an alcoholic and that I've had to deal with my entire life. And just some of the cycles that you're describing and some of the underlying emotions that you were feeling that maybe made you reach for the bottle is possibly something that my loved one is going through. She's still going through. And so it's, it's something that honestly, it takes you away from your loved ones. And yeah. as you were saying, you're like, you know, here, let me hand the kids over. It's like that quality time that 
you could be having with your husband and the kids. It's like you choose the bottle. And in my case, my relative also just chooses the bottle over that. And it's driven me away from that. Like, I really don't want anything to do with that. And, um, it affects relationships so, so intensely. It's, it's horrible. Absolutely. And, and it creeps up really discreetly. So you don't even realize that, that you're stuck in it until you're stuck in it kind of thing. You don't realize it's happening. You're still convincing yourself that you don't have a problem, that you're just drinking like other people. And mummy wine culture is so prevalent in the US, the UK, Australia, of all of those memes that go around social media. Mum deserves wine. I I wine, so my mum drinks wine. And um, I, I even heard in 2010 in the US, there was a, a court battle between two alcohol companies who wanted to use the word mummy in their wine, in the name of their brand. One was calling it mummy juice and oh, one God. was calling it like mummy's best friend. And they were fighting to name their alcoholic drink to have the word mummy in it. I mean, it's disgusting. And when you start to realize that, but you think about mums, they are vulnerable, they're tired, they're sleep deprived, they're anxious, they're worried about if they're doing the right thing, they're feeling isolated, they've kind of lost their identity a bit, and then they're just getting marketed to with this substance Mm -hmm. that in the short term makes all those feelings and all those emotions go away because that's what alcohol does and that's why we develop this issue with it because in the Mm -hmm. short term, it does what we want it to do. It's just the problem is it's one of the most addictive substances on earth. So before we know it, we've developed dependency. Right. And it happens over time. And as you were saying, it happens so sneakily. It's so, it's so insane. And so do you think that there is ever a benefit for alcohol? That's a difficult question to answer. I think that there is no safe amount of alcohol that doesn't impact your physical health. Um, there is evidence that now has just come out that has said for every 10 grams of alcohol, so 10 grams is a small glass of wine or a small beer, you increase your chance of cancer by between 4 and 13%. So there is no safe amount of alcohol. Mm -hmm. So is there a place, but but you do that with with other things as well. Sugar, you know, causes, you know, there there are lots of other things. So yes, in terms Mm -hmm. of moderation is, does alcohol have a benefit for some people who can enjoy a glass of wine every now and then, and they don't, it, it, they're happy with just having the one or two, it relaxes them. They're not dependent on it. Of course, then like I'm not anti-alcohol, but what I am is talking openly about the al- the impact that alcohol has because no one else is talking mm. about this openly enough like other people are but it's not shared in the wider community i didn't know the risk to cancer here in australia they now are saying that 20 percent of breast cancer diagnoses are directly caused by alcohol oh my god 20 percent of breast cancer diagnoses are directly caused by alcohol and yet big alcohol is directly targeting women yeah. And it's like, why is that not a warning on the labels of these bottles? Exactly. And, you exactly. know, it should say kind of like cigarettes. I mean, I don't yeah. know how much you know about what I, my brand and what I do, but I advocate against big ag and meat, dairy and eggs. And they should have labels on their cartons, their egg cartons, their milk cartons that also tie the relationship to cancer. 
It yeah. should just be known if, if customers are going to buy, you know, these products, alcohol, vodka, beer, whatever it is, at least they should know the harmful effects of it. Absolutely. And the other thing that I didn't know is that alcohol, actually, when we drink alcohol, we, um, so in our brain, we have a very, very delicate balance of all of our neurotransmitters. <clears throat> and they are all, it's called homeostasis, where everything is at exactly the level that the brain wants all these neurotransmitters to be. When we drink alcohol, alcohol is a depressant, so we get a huge flood of the um, neurotransmitter GABA. GABA is what makes us feel calm and relaxed. And so that mm. is why we get that kind of feeling where it's just like, ah. Oh. But the brain does not cope well with that huge um, dumping of GABA. And so it try and it whacks it out of homeostasis. So what the brain does is release the um, stress hormone cortisol to counter the impact of GABA. So what we then have is the alcohol wears off. So the GABA wears off after 20 minutes and we are left with a huge extra amount of cortisol, the stress hormone that leaves us feeling stressed and anxious circulating around the body, which then will make us more likely to want to reach for another drink just right. to counter the impact of the first drink. And they've done studies now that show that people that drink consistently, not lows, but even just one or two glasses, three or four times a week, have a higher baseline of the stress level cortisol than people that don't. Mm. So even when we're drinking not huge amounts, but consistently and regularly, we are increasing the body's stress level and we are increasing our anxiety. And the number one thing that my clients find when they remove alcohol is that their anxiety disappears. That's amazing. I know. Wow. Wow. So th that really does all make sense now because I, even I've experienced that. I mean, you go into these social settings where sometimes, you know what I mean? At first it can be a little awkward and everybody's trying to loosen up and like maybe there's some social anxiety there and then the alcohol kind of hides and masks all of that. And so I think that's why a lot of people go for the bottle and it's like almost as if you're at the bar, it's something to have in your hand. It's like a habit yeah. in a way, yeah. but Somebody, one of my really good friends, Victoria, the other day we were talking, she hasn't drink, had a drink in over 10 years. And she was saying that if you are not comfortable in your own body and you are not comfortable in the way you are feeling, then you have a lot of self-work to do. You don't need to go reaching for another outside substance to make your cover up your feelings. You know, but, but most people don't know that. And so when I was drinking, I was so disconnected to myself that I didn't know that I had all this work to do. Like, I just had no idea. And and so alcohol masks so much. And we just go, oh, yeah, I just love getting drunk. And I love partying. And I'm a big social butterfly. And then you remove the alcohol. And it's like, oh, actually, I'm none of those things. I quite like being in my pajamas at nine o'clock on the sofa watching telly and, and missing out on the parties. And so you kind of peel back all these layers. And you're like, oh, that's who I really am when I'm not drinking a bottle of wine a night. Wow. That, it, that's literally what's happening to me. I want to say in the past five or so years, you know, you go from college where I'm in these frat parties, I'm hanging out. It's like, you have to drink in order to have a good time. And then now that I'm 24, I've, you know, I have a job. I, now I really just want to be home in my pajamas and when, and I don't want to drink. I don't want to feel like crap the next day. And it's so true that the alcohol totally uh, changes your perspective and changes the things that you like to do. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, 
where does somebody start? You know, like you're, you're in this, this routine, this habit. If you go out every Friday night, I think for a lot of people, it's like they work nine to five jobs Monday through Friday. They don't like what they're doing. And then finally the weekend is where they can just let loose and party. And so that Friday rolls around. What does somebody do? Where do they start if they want to stop drinking? So for me, I had just reached a point of going, yeah, I, I need to make a change. A couple of things had happened that quite significantly shook me in terms of my drinking. And I just was like, I've got to take a break. So I decided I'm going to do 21 days because they all say 21 days is what you need to break a habit. So I'll just do 21 days and then everything will be fine. So I did my 21 days. And, um, and, and that's what I say to everyone is just start off with a small amount of, of and just seeing it as an experiment. So just starting to be curious and explore what your life is like and what you are like without alcohol. So I did the 21 days and I got to the 21 days and I was like, wow, I feel really good. This is what it's like to have all this energy, to sleep really well, to wake up feeling positive every day, to have the entire weekend stretch out with not a single hangover in sight and having all this time to do all these things that I want to do. So I kept on going and I got to 100 days. But the hardest thing was other people's opinion on me not drinking. And so I was coming under quite a lot of peer pressure and I wasn't I didn't do any work on myself at that time. This was back in 2017 and there wasn't a huge amount of information available like there is now in terms of going alcohol free. So I decided, oh, I'll go back to drinking. Um, But now I've done 100 days. So I'm not an alcoholic because I wouldn't have been able to do that if I was an alcoholic. I'm clearly okay, And I'm just now going to be a moderate drinker that just has one glass of wine every now and then. And that's going to be me. Well, that doesn't work. And so it turns out that um, within two weeks, I was back to drinking the same amount as before. And that's the case for most of my clients. With the reason being, once those neural pathways have been created, you can't fight against your physiology. Like it's not like, oh, I've got to be stronger. I've got to have more willpower. Um, I've just got to keep trying harder. It's not about that. It's a neural pathway in your brain. Mm. And when your brain knows, I could go two months, two years, 10 years. But when I pick up a drink again, my brain will always remember, like there's been interviews I've watched with addiction experts that have said, the brain just never forgets. That neural pathway will always be there. And that's why for so many people, it's actually easier to say none than it is to say one. And mm. um, so the way that I work with my clients at the start, so what followed for me there was two years of taking breaks, going back to drinking, trying to moderate, never being able to, beating myself up, binge drinking, this whole cycle that was pretty hideous, but I kind of needed to go through that. That was my story. That was my journey. And that was what meant in the end that I was like, yeah, no, I'm done with this. And um, April 2019, I had my last drink. And that was that. And so, and I say that was that, which makes it sound incredibly easy and simple and straightforward. And it's really not. But um, you know what I mean? And, And what the difference was this time, I then went into therapy. And I went into kind of unpeeling some of the stuff from my past that had been the triggering mm. behaviors that had led to me relying on alcohol in the way that I did. And what I started to learn was new coping mechanisms and new coping strategies for when I felt stressed, when I felt 
angry, when I felt lonely, when I felt disappointed, whatever the uncomfortable emotions are, because at school, we're not ever taught how to sit with emotions, how to process mm. emotions. We're taught algebraic equations, which I'm sure, like me, you've never used again since leaving school, no. but we're never taught when you're feeling disappointed, this is a way that you can process that emotion um, without just simply needing to reach for some other way of, of, of avoiding it, whether that be scrolling social media, whether that be food, whether that be alcohol, drugs, gambling, like whatever the thing is that in that moment takes us away from the feeling. And learning mm. to process emotions is the work of being happy, alcohol-free. And so when you're processing these emotions, are there other healthy habits that you've incorporated into your life to turn to? Like, I, I know that a lot of people with addiction issues will then become addicted to like exercising and working out or, uh, helping the community or just some type of other thing to direct their focus to. Do you find that that's the case or not really? I find that for, it, it's different for everyone, but, but yes, we absolutely, we can't just remove alcohol and not add something else in. So right. it's really important. And, and for so many of my clients, what I find is that the reason they're drinking is boredom and loneliness. So we have to start looking at, well, what are we gonna add in? Because if you're gonna carry on sitting at home every night, not going out, not talking to anyone, not doing anything, it's gonna be really hard not to drink because you feel unfulfilled and fed up. So let's start adding in a Zumba class on a Monday. Let's start adding in a walking group on a Tuesday. Let's start adding in going to the local community center on a Thursday, doing an art class, like whatever it is. It's, it's looking at each individual's personal lifestyle and life and going, right, if we're taking out the alcohol, what are we putting into your life to make it interesting, fulfilling, diverse, um, and, and to alleviate any boredom or loneliness, which can be some of the biggest triggers for drinking? Yes, absolutely. I mean, let's say you do have to go to some type of work functions or social events where there's a full bar. And what do you do when you're in those situations? What are some tactics? Yeah, so I don't know. How big are alcohol-free drinks where you are? There's definitely a good amount. I mean, yeah. you can also just do a club soda with lemon or you could get like cranberry juice, pineapple juice at any bar. So over here in Australia and in the UK, there's a huge movement towards alcohol-free beer, alcohol-free mm. wine, alcohol-free champagne, alcohol-free gin and tonics. And they taste like the real thing, but they don't have any alcohol in them. They are cool. massive. So I'm on a mission to try and get more bars and restaurants to stock them because there is something about... And I know it's ridiculous, but there is something about other people are so much more comfortable with you when you've got a drink that looks like their drink, right? And mm. people just don't question it. So if you've got a drink that looks like you're also drinking alcohol, if I'm standing there with a champagne glass with my alcohol-free champagne in it, no one even bats an eyelid or even questions me as to, whereas if I'm stood there with a Diet Coke or a water, oh, you're not drinking. Oh, why are you not drinking? And, and then the questions start. And so I yes. always say, yeah, and it's like, I had a woman the other day and um, I was at a dinner party and I'd never met her before. And someone went to fill me a glass of wine and I said, oh, no thanks, I don't drink. And she looked at me, she went, oh, are you an alcoholic? <laughs> and I was just like, wow, 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 wow. That is the society we live in where when a 45 year old woman says she doesn't drink, the natural assumption is that she must be an alcoholic. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like maybe you just don't like the taste or the way it makes you feel. Ever think of that? Yeah. yeah. You wouldn't say to someone, 
oh, they've stopped smoking and questioned them about it. And they've now put alcohol in the same carcinogenic category as tobacco. Like alcohol has the same risks of cancer as tobacco does. Right. And yet it's the only drug we have to justify not taking. Um, so the other things I do say with my clients is this is the one time that I'm like, it's okay to tell a white lie. It's okay. If people are going, why aren't you drinking? It's okay to say, I'm on antibiotics. I'm training for a triathlon. I've got a really big meeting in the morning. I've let whatever the things are just to get people off your back because people mm -hmm. do question you. They're curious. They want to know. Or the other thing that starts to happen is they start telling you all about their drinking and justifying what their drinking is like. And I'm like, I just don't care. You drink, mm -hmm. you do you and I'll do me. And you don't have to worry about, you know, telling me how much you drink and why and how often. I'm just not interested. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah. It, and, and the other thing that I do is I phone ahead to the bars and I'll be like, do you have any alcohol free beer or wine? And if they say no, I will say, well, do you mind if I bring my own? Mm. Um, sometimes they say yes, and sometimes they say no. That's great. That's a good idea. I mean, I definitely am in that stage where I do have to find myself telling white lies because it really does become a whole thing where somebody will bombard me with a million questions that I don't fully feel comfortable answering or really know how to answer. And um, I just don't want it to even be a topic or conversation, but it's so interesting how it's not, it's seen as like so lame and not cool to be like, I don't drink as opposed to like, yeah, like, let me, I could do 10 shots. Like I'm so cool. It's like these social norms. It's so messed up. It's so messed up, isn't it? And the fact of the matter is that, you know, I, I think it will change, but I think particularly as well for like teenagers and 20s, I think it's interesting. I think over here in Australia, it's the lowest amount of drinking than, than they've had for, of this generation for years to go. The actual, the, the demographic where the amount that people are drinking is on the rise is middle-aged women. Whereas mm. it's actually the lowest level that it's ever been for the, the young adults, 20s um, upwards. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out over the next little while. But I do think that the other thing that I would say on that is decide if you really want to go to something, because sometimes I will say no. If I know that it's just a load of people going out with the sole intention to get as wasted as they possibly can, I'm kind of like, do I really want to do that? Like, yeah. is that really a fun night for me? And I would rather go for a dinner. I'd rather go and do an exercise class with a girlfriend and have breakfast after. I'd rather go out for a really nice lunch and a walk. Like, I'm very selective now with what I go to because going to a bar where people's only goal is to do shots and get smashed, it's kind of not that fun when you're not doing that. And, and that's okay to go, I don't have to go and do that. I'm choosing not to spend my time doing that because that's not fun to me anymore. Right. And so before we even started this podcast, you know, you got on and, and you were telling me in Australia, it's the morning time there and you are so productive. Can you like run through your morning and then also nighttime routines? And this is something that you've developed after giving up the alcohol. So it's so, it's so awesome to see that you're up to so many great things. Oh, like for me, I'm usually up by half five, quarter to six, and I will walk the dog um, and just have a bit of a quiet time. Me and the dog, we go down by the water, we're in nature, and I'll think about the day, what I've got on, have a bit of a moment of gratitude and just a little quiet chat with myself because it's usually the only quiet time that I get all day. And then I'll come back and I'll get the kids sorted, get their lunches done, get breakfast ready. Um, and then I'll usually go to the gym or do some kind of exercise. Um, 
and then I'm usually ready to start work by 8.30 and I'll work through till school pickup time and then I'm with the kids um, and then my evening routine like I'm usually winding down by eight and mm. I but but that's very much an Australian cultural thing as well like when I lived in the UK you generally went to bed at 11 or midnight and you got up at like seven or eight whereas Australia most people are in bed by half nine, ten, and then mm. they're up at half five, six. Like the most popular gym class at my gym is five fifteen a.m. What what class is it? It's like a boot camp, like like hardcore cardio type class. But that's wow. because people start work at seven half seven over here. Like, but they finish really early. So it's just everything mm. over here is starts early and finishes early, and then most people are in, in bed early. So it's just a different way of doing things, but it suits the sober lifestyle, right? Because yeah. when I was drinking, oh my goodness, getting up at half past five in the morning, I was like, no, thank you. No way. you can. No, there's no way you can do that. I mean, yeah. I've had nights where sometimes I have to, I, I wake up at like 3 p.m. And then yeah. I'll like stay up for a little bit, and then I have to get back in bed because I have pounding headaches. It's not fun. Yeah. Like, what is no. fun about that? No. Nothing. No, no, it's absolutely insane. Well, I really love what you're up to. And I think that this is such an important topic and we need to stop normalizing this kind of drinking and bad behavior and, um, and start normalizing healthy habits and, you know, wanting to consume healthier, um, products that don't cause cancer in you and, so I really love what you're up to. And so how can people connect with you? And, and, you know, maybe if you want to just share some of your services with the coaching, that would be awesome. Yeah. So there was just one other thing that I really wanted to share with your audience, um, because Please. I think it's really useful for, for, for women, girls to, to know this. When it comes to um, processing alcohol, women don't process alcohol in the same way as men do um, for three reasons. Number one, Generally speaking, women will have less water in their body and a higher percentage of body fat. That's how we're built. That's how we're designed so that we can carry babies. And because we have less water in our body, we don't dilute as much of the alcohol that we drink. And so more of the alcohol goes on to affect us. That's why quite often women will be more affected and get pissed quicker, get drunk quicker than, than a guy will. Second reason is women actually produce less of an enzyme that... Um, that metabolizes alcohol. There's an enzyme called alcohol dehydrogenase, and this is a liver enzyme that processes um, alcohol quickly. We have less of it. Women just don't produce as much of this. So that means that when women drink alcohol, more of it enters our bloodstream. Mm. So this is why women are more likely to become dependent on alcohol, why we are at a higher risk of cancer, liver disease, heart disease, and all of the other health impacts that come from alcohol. The third thing is that when we have higher levels of estrogen in our blood, we, um, we, alcohol affects us more. So wherever we are in our cycle with relates to um, menstruation, if we have a time in the month where we've got more estrogen in our blood, we will get drunk quicker than mm. when we don't. So that's why, and, that, and sometimes the hangovers will affect you more. So sometimes you can have the same amount to drink and one night get really drunk and the other night be absolutely fine. And that is all to do with the amount of estrogen that's in your blood that day. So just something to be aware of for women that we, all of that 
messaging around let's match the boys pint for pint down the the varsity bar and, and all of that we are definitely the weaker more vulnerable sex when it comes to um processing alcohol and the impact that alcohol has on our physical health and how about over time like when you are consistently drinking do you actually build up uh what's the word do you build up um tolerance tolerance to yeah. it? yeah and that's why you need more and more so because the brain works out very quickly, the brain hates alcohol. The brain hates this, this impact that happens that disrupts this homeostasis balance. So the brain works out very, very quickly how to counter the impact of the alcohol and make us not have such a strong effect from it. So that's why we build up tolerance and that's why we need more and more and more to get the same high. And that happens steadily over years of drinking. Mm, it's so scary it really the thing with alcohol is it's like the silent killer where it separates you from all of your loved ones because people don't want to put up with all the you know bs that you put them through it's uh especially when you are like a intense alcoholic and um you know think bad things happen after certain people drink and and it just deteriorates your body over time and uh kills you i mean what is the life expectancy for somebody that do you know it would depend everyone is different but it was interesting i read something the other day that talked about the number of sexual assaults that happened on campus in america in a certain year and it was over 90 percent were um involved alcohol wow oh i'm sure i'm sure Yeah. Yeah. yeah because you don't have any bodily autonomy yeah. After a certain point. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, so going back to what you said, I run alcohol-free challenges um, four times a year I, where people can join live every day. They get a live talk with me showing up, talking, sharing support, techniques, resources, mindset information, everything you need to, to help you take a break from booze and change your drinking habits. I also do one-to-one coaching. I have a 30-day program that people can buy off my website. And if you head to my website, there's tons of resources as well, books, podcasts, all that type of thing. So, and the website is sarahrusbatch.com. Amazing. Amazing. Well, guys, definitely go check out Sarah and her work. I, this is super inspiring for me just to, you know what? Like, I want to feel good. I want to get stuff done. I want to not, um, just have to feel that I need to drink because of social pressure. You know what? Exactly. Like stand my ground and maybe not place myself in certain situations where I know that it's going to end in um, where I need to drink, feel that I yeah. need to drink. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No, it's so good to be here. And the other place that I hang out a lot is Instagram. So if any of your listeners are on Instagram, give me a follow at Sarah Rusbach. And that's R-U-S-B-A-T-C-H. And I'm always sharing loads of tips, loads of information. Yay. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for listening, guys. Bye.